Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Mackenzie campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. Uh, It's great to be here this morning. Uh, It's great to have all of you here in the room if you're joining us online. Uh, It is a privilege uh, to be here in big church. And yes, I do have other clothes uh, that aren't green. Um, I had a few people before the eight o'clock service, Jess, where's your green shirt? What are you you doing today? Um, But it is great to be able to wear some normal clothes today and open God's word with you all. I'd love to pray as we get started. So would you join me as I do that? God, thank you that you are here. Thank you that we don't have to ask you to be here or usher you in somehow, God, that your presence is here among us. God, we pray as we open your word that you would speak to us in a new way, that you would encourage us and that you would challenge us. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, since it's uh, Young Communicators Sunday, I thought I'd give you a bit of an insight into my generation. You see, my generation is obsessed with getting the perfect picture. And so I don't know what your experience of the perfect picture is, so I thought I'd give you a bit of some insider knowledge on just how to create the perfect picture. Now, the first thing you've got to think about is what you're going to use. Are you going to use just your your iPhone with the portrait mode, or are you going to be really fancy and professional and whip out your giant professional camera? And then you've got to think about who's going to take the photo, who can I trust to capture me really well or capture the scene really well? And then you've got to think about the backdrop. You know, are there contrasting colours? Is the backdrop telling a story about what I'm doing or where I am that will really convey the message that I want uh, people to pick up on? And then once you've figured out the backdrop, you've got to think about the angles because a good backdrop's not good if you don't have good angles. You've got to think about where you're going to stand. Are you going to stand up, sit down? Uh, and then you've got to think about what's the most flattering angle? Where, where are my chins? Is, you know, am I going to look down? Points. Down is good because you can't see the chins. Um, so you've got to think about the angle and whether the angle accurately tells the story you want to tell. And then you've got to think about the shot. You know, what are you going to be doing in the shot? Is it, you know, your normal, classic, posed, smile straight into the camera? Is it a candid, like, oh, look at me in a mid-walk or sipping a coffee? Or am I laughing off into the distance of someone out of shot? Or am I deep in thought and being reflective and contemplating life's great mysteries? But then you can't just take one shot. You've got to take multiple shots. You've got to have a lot of options to work with in post-production. So you try a bunch of those angles. You try a bunch of those shots, just hoping that afterwards you've got a few good things to work with. And then, of course, comes the post-production. You know, you've got to pick the right app to edit the photos. You've got to straighten the image and crop out any of the dead space and pick a filter that really helps the colours come to life. And, you you know, sharpen the picture, up the exposure, up the saturation. And if you're feeling even a little bit edgy, you might even add a grain on top of it. But then we're not done yet either, because then the hardest part is the caption. What am I going to caption the picture that accurately represents what I want to tell? Am I going to go for a witty remark or a sarcastic comment? Am I going to pick a few emojis that describe how I'm feeling or what I'm thinking? 
Or am I going to go for a long, drawn out, emotive reflection on how this moment reminds me of God's goodness and faithfulness, how He's always with me? Or am I going to take this moment to share about how much I love that person or this person and tell all the world about it? And then what time do I post the picture? Because time is really important because you could have a really perfect picture, but if you don't post it at the right time, it might get lost because social media has all these algorithms now that, you know, if you post it at the wrong time, there's a chance that people will miss your perfect photo. So you've got to post it at the optimum time in the hopes that people will see it. And then you post it and you sit back and you hope and you pray that people will casually scroll past your photo and go, oh, what a candid, lovely photo of Jess that really captures her natural beauty. Wow, and she's in Italy, lucky her, I'll give that a like. That's the perfect picture. And you know, the saddest thing about this whole thing is that I didn't have to take any new content to illustrate this point. I already had it on my phone. (laughs) But this is the perfect Instagram picture. And you may all have varying degrees of experience with this concept, but whatever your experience of the perfect Instagram picture, I reckon we've all experienced the desire to create the perfect picture of life. You know, the picture that tells a story how you've got it all together and look at me, I'm doing great. That I've got it all together, life. My children are well-behaved, not that I have children, but maybe for you. Uh, My children are well-behaved and they do what they're told every time. They clean their rooms before the end of the night. I don't have to ask them to do that. They do all their chores or they do all their homework when they're told. And I'm so busy, but look at all of the responsibilities and the hats that I wear and the way that I do that with ease and grace. And then look at all my relationships, they're all going strong. My, you know, my relationships and my friendships are really great because I've got so many good friends and my finances are strong because look at the car I just bought. And I wonder if you've ever found yourself perfecting the perfect picture of faith. If church attendance was an exam, you'd be sitting right up there in the highest percentile and you're so busy, I'm so busy, and yet look at all of the ways that I can volunteer at church and the time I can give to serve the church and serve God. And did you know that I read my Bible every single morning without fail for 30 minutes before I eat breakfast? Every morning without fail. I don't, but maybe you do. Um, You don't have to be a genius to see that the problem with the perfect picture is that it's an illusion. And at best, it's a highlight reel that doesn't tell the full story. And just like the pictures we post on social media, it's been manipulated, it's been filtered and perfectly crafted, but the reality is it's exhausting and it's far from reality. Where religion says, God, look at my picture, look at my life, I'm doing so well, I'm doing all of these great things for you, please like me, please uh, be proud of me. Jesus instead wants to be invited into our picture and he invites us into loving relationship and he wants to heal what is broken. And Jesus spent a great deal of his ministry on earth challenging the deeply rooted ideals of the Jewish community and their perfect picture. 
And the Jews were God's people who had been set apart and chosen as the mechanism through which God would reveal Himself to all of creation. And the Old Testament tells their story how the one true God enters into the picture to save the messy, broken and hurting world and inaugurates the greatest redemption story. God establishes a covenant with His people who although are witness and recipients of His great provision and power, constantly lose sight of His promises because they are so focused on maintaining their perfect picture. And today we're gonna look at an encounter that Jesus has with a Jewish man named Nicodemus. And as we unpack this interaction, we will see that when Jesus steps in, the perfect picture is completely unraveled. If you've got your Bibles with you, you can turn with me to John chapter 3. We're going to start from verse 1. Now there was a Pharisee, and I'm going to stop right there. You see, out of the Jewish story came a group of people uh, known as the Pharisees. And the term Pharisee comes from the Hebrew meaning of to be separated or set apart. These guys were the religious elite. They were the epitome of the perfect story, and they had, perfect picture and story. Uh, but, and they had high political, social, and religious status and expertise. And as you read the Gospels, you see that the Pharisees are portrayed and often in hot water for their legalistic, narrow-minded, and self-assured uh, adherence to the tradition of Scripture. Over time, they had perfected a formula and worked tirelessly to tick all of the boxes in the hope that God would respond to their perfect picture by sending the Messiah. And then the Messiah, Jesus, comes and steps into the picture and His miraculous ministry and His radical teaching deeply offend and challenge their religious and social and political uh, privilege that they had worked tirelessly to create. And so this Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. Now this guy wasn't just a Pharisee. He was part of the religious ruling council. He was the elite of the elite. He had dedicated his entire life to memorizing scripture and climbing the ladder of religious prestige if there were boxes to tick, this guy created them. His perfect picture was expert level. If he was around today, he'd probably be a social media influencer. Uh, but he had the perfect picture that everyone envied. And so he comes to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. And a quick conclusion could be that he was just a busy guy whose responsibilities could only afford him time at night to have this conversation. But more likely though, that this interaction wouldn't have boded well with his perfect picture. You know, how would his perfect picture be affected if others were to see him interacting with this Jesus guy, this controversial troublemaker who was threatening everything that they had worked towards. But to give Nicodemus some credit though, 
He does recognise Jesus as someone that has come from God because he sees that he couldn't be doing what he's doing if God wasn't somehow with him. That and his greeting Jesus as rabbi implies that Nicodemus is a genuine seeker of truth and has some level of respect for Jesus and is open to what he has to say. This guy who created the check boxes for religion recognises that it's not enough. He doesn't really know what yet, and he certainly doesn't suspect what is coming. But there is this sense that behind the perfect picture, behind the facade of the perfect religious formula, something is missing. And so picking up in verse 3, Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, No one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Born again, what is this business about being born again? Nicodemus is rightly taken aback and confused by Jesus' proclamation here. Firstly, it's a really gross mental image thinking of a grown man being reborn. But the term born again here is the crux of Jesus' point. The term again can be translated to from above. And so Jesus here makes it clear that to enter the kingdom of God, to experience transformation and salvation, one must be born from above. And he elaborates his point to make it clearer for Nicodemus. He says, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh and the Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. To describe this rebirth, Jesus uses the term born of water and spirit. And based on the Old Testament prophecies and the context which Jesus is speaking, uh, we can conclude that he means by this that the spirit must be poured out like water in order that someone is born from above. To be born again is different from physical birth. This is a supernatural, heavenly regeneration where the Spirit is poured out that results in radical transformation that has nothing to do with human effort. But Nicodemus is still confused. How can this be, he asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen. But still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? Jesus' response here to Nicodemus has profound implications on how to participate and enter the kingdom of God. And it completely unravels his perfect picture. Here is a guy who would have confidently assumed that his place in the kingdom of God was well and truly assured. He had done all the right things. He followed the letter of the law. He had ticked all of the boxes. And yet here he is dumbfounded and probably quite offended at Jesus' proclamation that all of that was worthless to enter the kingdom of God. You see, the problem with Nicodemus's picture is simply that Jesus wasn't in it. He had gotten so stuck in the routine of religion that he didn't recognize Jesus for who he was when he stepped into the picture. 
He neglected to see the simple yet profound reality that the God he knew and loved wasn't as interested in his religious resume. He, like many of the Jewish people, had become so fixated on religious piety that they had lost sight of the fact that their story was never about being good people and following a bunch of rules. It was, in fact, always first and foremost about God's extravagant love for his people in making a way for them to be in relationship for all of eternity. And that's always been God's heart, that we would not get so focused on the traditions and the disciplines and the structures that they become the centre of our picture. Or that we get so exhausted uh, from being the good person and doing the good things that we forget the reason that they were created. A few years ago, I was in Montreal for a weekend by myself, which is equal parts exhilarating and terrifying. Um, but I was in Montreal and I found myself at the Notre Dame Basilica. Uh, and as soon as I stepped in, I was in awe of its incredible, uh, magnificent uh, architecture and artistry and sculpting. It was truly a sight to behold. And the Notre Dame Basilica is one of the most dramatic and highly regarded pieces of religious architecture in the world. Uh, it was the first Gothic revival style church in Canada. And to this day is still one of the largest places of worship in Northern America. And the initial construction of this building took about six years. And then it was another 30 years on top of that to really get into the nitty gritty details and the beautiful uh, innate architecture and interior design and all that kind of stuff. And approximately 11 million people visit the Notre Dame every year as a must do tourist attraction in Montreal, hence why I was there. But think about the effort that would have gone into creating and maintaining this building. From people like engineers and architects and construction workers and builders and volunteers and stonemasons and artists and sculptors and financial planners and church staff and church volunteers and ticket collectors and uh, all those kinds of people. The list goes on. And here is a picture that, that's not my picture. Here is a picture I took in an attempt to capture its beauty, to post on Instagram, of course, to show everyone just how awesome it was. And in what is the great irony of this picture is the time that I took to perfectly uh, edit and you know, filter this picture to really accentuate its beauty and wonder. But as I uh, spent time sitting on one of the cold wooden pews in uh, the Notre Dame, in an, ex in an escape to effort to escape the freezing cold weather and uh, get a sense of peace while I was alone in that foreign place, I began to appreciate how this building in itself was an act of worship. But in that moment, I had a really powerful and personal encounter with Jesus. Of course, that I then had to go and you know, write down and perfectly uh, craft to pair with my perfect picture for Instagram. Uh, but I wanna share what I wrote uh, alongside the picture. I love that Jesus couldn't have chosen a more modest and unpretentious way to come to earth. At the end of the day, I don't think he cares too much for the sparkles and the immaculate buildings. He's more interested in our messy hearts. 
No, He was more interested in sitting with me in my mess, in my fear, in my worries, in my pride, in my ego, in my insecurities than He was in my perfect picture and the perfect picture of that building. He was more interested in sitting with me in my messy heart than He was in the details of the golden statues that lined the hallways. And church, He is more interested in your messy heart than in your perfect picture. You know, looking back, I ran the risk of missing that encounter with Jesus. Firstly, because I was so distracted by uh, the craziness that this building was and the visual stimulation that came with that. But then in my attempt to capture this perfect picture, to show my few hundred followers on Instagram just how cool I was to be in Montreal by myself on the weekend and how good I was at taking really great pictures and crafting meaningful words. But the only truly important thing in that moment, in the midst of the filters and in the midst of the effort for perfection, is that Jesus stepped into the picture and I had an encounter with him. And I reckon this paints a picture of Jesus' heart in his invitation to us to be born again. And what stands out to me is that Jesus doesn't condemn the pretty buildings and the human effort. It's just not what he's innately interested in. And the danger is when these structures and these disciplines and routines become the pinnacle of our experience of God. When our faith becomes defined by a building or a to-do list of religious disciplines or moral checkboxes. But he doesn't really care what era inspired the architecture of that building. He, didn't, he doesn't really care if the stained glass windows portray his figure accurately. And he doesn't really care how many volunteer, volunteer teams you serve on at church or if you only listen to worship music ever in the car. He doesn't really care. He doesn't need your effort or your good morals or achievements. He just wants to be with you. He wants to heal your messy heart. He just wants to be in your picture. And we have the benefit of hindsight to know what Jesus truly meant about being born again. In his grace, God promised a saviour to save the world from their sins and to rid the need for human effort once and for all. A saviour that would pay the ultimate price to forgive our sins. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to earth and he died on a cross to forgive our sins. We no longer have to rely on our effort to produce the perfect picture to be saved and in relationship with God. In Jesus, we are invited to turn from religion, to turn from the ineffective effort of striving to achieve and control the perfect picture. Instead, Jesus in his grace steps into the picture and offers us relationship and he wants to draw us in to a relationship that is defined by grace and love and hope and rest and great joy. He invites us to be born again from above. So what does it look like to be born again? What does it look like when Jesus steps into our picture? Well, firstly, being born again brings new life. 
And with this new life comes new identity. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, and the new is here. Jesus used Nicodemus' understanding of physical birth to describe what it's like to be born again from above. And this is a deeply personal comparison that points to the life and identity that God wants to establish when we are born again. And whether we've witnessed it or not, we all have a pretty good uh, idea or concept of birth. When we are born, we are born into a family and given a new identity, or a a new identity, the first one you got. But uh, we can't earn it and we can't achieve it. And every life has a purpose. Every life is uniquely different. Every life is worth celebrating. When we are born again from above, it's even more miraculous than natural birth. It's a new beginning and a new identity. And this new life is deeply rooted in God's love for you and his acceptance of you as his precious child. It's defined by grace and it's motivated by his love for you. You are welcomed into God's family, into his kingdom, purely because he just loves his kids. And you know what? Kids are really messy. But we all love kids, but they're really, really messy. I love kids, and I'm not just paid to say that, but kids are messy. As Tim mentioned before, we had the privilege a few weeks ago of hosting over 200 kids here at KTO Take Two. We finally made it, uh, and we had an incredible day. Many kids went home from the day, in fact, and said it was their best day ever, which is exactly the thing that you love to hear. Our day was full of worship and teaching and inflatables and sideshow alley games and pits of hay and glow sticks and confetti and tokens and prizes and challenges. It was a blast and it was awesome, but I tell you what, it was a stinking mess. To this day, weeks later, Kids Zone is a mess. Don't go in there, please, it's a mess. Um, I have cut out trees and pieces of castle and bunting and decorations and signage and tokens and not to mention lost property coming out of my ears. It was a mess, but it was so, so worth it. And if you've ever seen the shenanigans we get up to on KTV, you'll know and you'll see it's a mess. We have the privilege of stepping into kids' living rooms every week and in our campuses as well each week to help kids have fun and grow in their faith with great uh, digital content for them. But it's a mess. There's shaving cream, there's flower, flower, there's weird props and things going around everywhere. And sometimes there's even cereal, like, you know, gushing through shoots and all this crazy stuff. It's a mess. And lucky for us though, Jesus loves mess too. In Ephesians, Paul says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. You can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. And he has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Being born again also uh, brings new relationship. 
When we are born again, our picture is no longer defined by the good things that we can do to craft our perfect picture. Jesus makes it clear that that will never be enough. New life is a gift and this new relationship is a gift. Out of his great love, he invites us into a loving relationship, not because of anything that you've done, but more commonly in spite of what you've done. And this new relationship is defined by love and grace, where we are safe to lay out our mess and brokenness. We're safe to lay out the guilt and the shame and the exhaustion and the insecurities because Jesus loves mess. And when we invite Jesus into our picture and are born again, He holds us and He sits with us in our mess. And the best part is because of His love, because of His grace and because of His work on the cross, He doesn't just leave us sitting in our mess. He turns our messy hearts and our messy lives and He creates a masterpiece. And He has a unique plan and purpose for each of our lives that He longs to show you in relationship because only Jesus can create the perfect picture. And this was quite a dramatically new concept for someone like Nicodemus who up until this point had lived in a pre-resurrection reality. But I think for us, it's not so obvious. We live in the reality of Jesus' work on the cross and His Spirit poured out on all believers. And yet sometimes we can slip into a workspace relationship forgetting that He's already ticked all of the boxes for you. We read earlier in uh, verse three, Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Being born again gives us new life and new means of relationship with God and it gives us new vision for a new mission. Jesus says that you must be born again to see the kingdom of God at work. And we just read in Ephesians that Paul says that God has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he's planned for. And that's the key. The identity and the relationship comes first, but Jesus has a vision for us and a mission for us to participate in. When we are born again, our vision of God's kingdom is illuminated and we are brought out of the darkness and into the light and our rebirth is activated by the pouring out of the Holy Spirit in us, which gives us a new vision to see the things of God in order that we may participate in His mission to bring and proclaim the good news to those still living in darkness. There's no definitive conclusion to Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus in John chapter three. But later in John's gospel, we get two small glimpses of the transformation that Nicodemus experienced when Jesus stepped into his picture. In chapter seven, there's a confrontation with the crowds and the Pharisees at a festival after Jesus gets up and speaks in the temple. And the Pharisees try to discredit Jesus and get him arrested. But Nicodemus stands up to the crowd and defends Jesus. 
The man who was once too afraid to even have a conversation with Jesus in the daylight now has the courage to stand up against his very own people to defend Jesus' honour. And then later on, after Jesus breathes his last breath on the cross, Nicodemus helps to take his body down and gives him the dignity of a Jewish burial. This man who was once so consumed with his perfect picture that he couldn't see Jesus for who he was, now prepares his body for the resurrection. When we are born again, Jesus gives us new vision to see His kingdom and He gives us the courage and the strength for a new mission. We are able to see His kingdom and participate in His mission in the unique way that He has created you to and the, the, the unique way He's revealed to you in relationship. You know, last year, everything we knew came to an abrupt halt. Our regular activities and routines were thrown out the window. The way we worked, schooled, connected, holidayed, all thrown out the window and changed in an instant. And in the midst of all of that, our regular rhythms and routines of faith were interrupted. What happened when COVID forced the doors of, these, of this building to be closed? I don't know about you, but I was confronted with the state of my picture. I no longer had this building or you know, great worship sets or the programs that we do here to comfortably filter and feed my spiritual needs. And I was confronted with the realisation that I had over time tethered my faith and my relationship with God so dependently with the structure and the contents of this building. And so last year I had to spend some, a, some time on a journey back to Jesus, inviting Him back into my picture, inviting Him back into my mess and allowing Him to restore and renew my heart in a new way. And I wonder if you've had a similar journey in this season. When churches, we knew it, was taken from you, were there implications for your relationship with Jesus? Like me, were you confronted with the state of your picture? Has this season illuminated the parts of your picture that you have tried to control for too long? Maybe you're sitting here and due to the circumstances you're facing or the relationships that you have or even just pure laziness, if we were to take the, the building and the routines and the programs, you actually realise that there's not a lot left to hold on to. And I think the sad reality is the global church saw that reality last year when everything shut down and people found out that Sunday's a great day for a sleep in and brunch. And so when church came back to live services, there's been a drop in engagement, a drop in attendance because people realise that that's a great way to spend their Sunday. And at the end of the day, the sad reality is there's probably not a lot left keeping me here. Or maybe you're sitting here and you've never accepted Jesus' invitation to be born again. You've never seen a need for it because you do the good things. You're a pretty good person. You're generous, you're kind when you can be. I don't really need to be born again. I've got it sorted out. 
Maybe you feel tired and worn out. You spend your whole life doing the right thing, doing your best to follow God's words and diligently ticking off the boxes required to maintain your perfect picture in the hope that God would respond to you and bless you. And I believe that Jesus' invitation to us this morning is to simply come to me. Come to me. Turn from your religious routines and formulas and invite me into your picture. Surrender to me your mess. Allow me to pour out my spirit on you and give you new life. Stay close to me and I will give you rest from all of that effort and allow me to open your eyes to my kingdom at work in you and around you. And all the while, I will turn your mess into a masterpiece because only I can create the perfect picture. You don't have to do a thing except accept the invitation. But the reality is ticking all of the boxes can sometimes be more difficult. I mean, sometimes easier, sorry because it's harder to surrender control and allow Jesus to shape our picture to His liking. Inviting Jesus into your picture might not be easy, but there's no prerequisites. There's no exam or step-by-step manual that you must follow or you get kicked out. All you have to do is accept the invitation. And I'd love to create an opportunity for us to do that this morning. So if you wanna, if, can I invite you to stand uh, where you are now, all of you? Uh, <laughs> um, and in a moment, the, the team is gonna play over us and sing a song over us. I wanna encourage you to allow it to minister to your heart. But if you're here this morning and you just need to accept Jesus' invitation to come to Him this morning. I'd love to uh, invite you to do so physically and symbolically in coming down to the front. One of our pastoral team and prayer team would love to pray for you. And as you come to the front in a moment, just take the time to do some business with God. Surrender your mess. Surrender the parts of your story that you're, you're struggling to let go of control. Surrender the effort and the exhaustion and allow Him to pour His Spirit over you anew today, to revive you and to renew your heart. He want, I just believe He wants to embrace you and let you know whether for the first time or again for the hundredth time that it's okay because He loves you and He's not afraid of your mess. He's not afraid of the things that you're holding on to. He just wants to be with you. And I believe that as you allow Him to, that He will revive you with new life. He'll remind you of your identity in Him. He'll remind you of the relationship that He wants to have with you and He will give you new vision for the mission that He has specifically purposed for you. So if 
that's you, as the band begin to play, I'd love to invite you to come to the front, whether, whether for the first time or whether for, again after a long time of trying to maintain the perfect picture. I just believe that God in His grace wants to renew you this morning. He wants to revive your soul and speak to you in a new way. So as the band plays, why don't you come down the front and I receive that ministry this morning.
thank You that You are our Saviour. God, that You loved us so much that You sent Your Son Jesus to earth to pay the price for our sin and our mess once and for all. God, there's nothing that we can do or there's nothing that we've done that will change the fact that You just love us and You wanna be in our picture. This morning, we ask that You would pour out Your Spirit on us. God, that You would remind us of the identity that You have bestowed upon us as Your children. And God, I pray that we would be reminded of Your great love and Your grace, where we are safe to pour out our mess and to surrender the things that we've been trying to hold on to, God. And Your response to us in that is to embrace us and to open our eyes who you are and what you are doing. God, we just thank you for your presence. We pray that we would be people with you in the centre of our picture. May our lives be a testimony of your goodness and your faithfulness and your grace so that others who are still living in darkness be brought into the light. for joining us this morning. Uh, Enjoy your week. If you've got kids going back to school this week, I hope that goes well getting back into the routine of the week. But thank you for being with us this morning. Uh, Bless you as you leave today. Thank you. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If we can pray for you or you would like to take a further step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to connect with you. Please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au and click on Get Connected to let us know. 